Hello, this is Dr. Loretta Bruning, and today we'll be mapping dopamine on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Loretta Bruning. Loretta Bruning, PhD, is founder of the Inner Mammal Institute and Professor Emerita of Management at California State University, East Bay. She's the author of many personal development books, including Habits of a Happy Brain, Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin, and Endorphin Levels. As a teacher and a parent, she was not convinced by prevailing theories of human motivation. Then she learned about the brain chemistry we share with earlier mammals, and everything made sense. She began creating resources that have helped thousands of people make peace with their inner mammal. Dr. Bruning's work has been translated into 12 languages and is cited in major media. Before teaching, she worked for the United Nations in Africa. Hi, Loretta. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hi. So nice to be here. I am thrilled to talk about dopamine. It is a highly requested topic. So when I stumbled upon your work, I was super excited to reach out and even more excited that you said yes. So can we just start by talking about what dopamine is? Sure. So everything I do is from the perspective of the animal brain. It's fascinating to know that all animals have dopamine and they can't override it with an intellectual human cortex the way we can. So they respond in a way that helps us know the natural purpose of it. So dopamine is the brain signal that you're about to meet a need. And the good feeling motivates you to take action to move toward it. So a simple example would be that a lion may see hundreds of prey animals, but if it ran after a hopeless cause, it would exhaust its energy and then never get to eat. So it has to pick out a good opportunity. And dopamine turns on and says, this one, you can get it. So it's both the good feeling that you could get it and the release of energy that motivates you to step toward it. So interesting. And I think about dopamine and motivation. What happens to the firing of dopamine once we've gotten that animal or achieved that goal. Exactly. So dopamine stops as soon as you meet the need. It is not designed to be on all the time. And this is a huge misunderstanding that comes from today's medical model of mental health. 
if it were on all the time, it couldn't do its work of notifying you when is a good opportunity to invest your energy. And we all have limited energy. So that's really this survival brain's purpose is to lead you to good decisions about where to invest your energy, what to get excited about in, in a real concrete sense. Yeah, so interesting. And are there factors that inhibit or actually that we could be born with that impact our ability to produce dopamine? I couldn't say, but people go right to that because they notice that there are individual differences and genetics has become the socially acceptable way to deal right. with individual differences. <laughs> True. But, but the important thing is that when we're born, our brains are not connected. Animals are more hardwired, but humans are not. So your dopamine is wired by your past dopamine experiences, and my dopamine is wired by my past dopamine experiences. So everyone has different experiences, and two children in the same family will have different experiences. And yet you could see that there's a common core, that we're all born hungry, and when food appears in our mouth, we get excited, and dopamine says, get me some more of that. So does birth itself impact that process or is it immediately after birth when we are actually in that desirous I want mode? So I want is based on an unmet need. So low blood sugar is an unmet need. Being cold is an unmet need. So imagine a newborn being cold and hungry and, you know, whatever tactile aspects there are too, but we don't even have to go there. So we are always trying to meet unmet needs. And first, a child doesn't understand, like, what is this feeling of hunger? And then as soon as you learn, ooh, food will relieve it, but I can't get food without controlling the giants around me who dispense it. You know, a newborn doesn't care about losing their mother in a supermarket because they don't understand the connection between her and meeting their needs. And then as time goes by, you build some skills, but then you also learn more about your own vulnerability. I really love and appreciate how you're speaking about this. It brings a whole different understanding to it. And like you said, there's ways that we look now to genetics or even we replace some of these neurochemicals and assume that they're deficient without any understanding of how or why. How do you speak into what's happening in therapeutic care in relation to what you now understand about these neurochemicals, particularly dopamine? So as you may guess, I can do what I do because I'm not a member of that community and have never been. So I've sort of made it a practice not to attack them because I don't want to be attacked. <laughs> right. Um, but needless to say, I don't think it's helpful to people. And I hear from many people who were, now we have a whole generation who grew up indoctrinated that they were defective. And it's profoundly disempowering because it makes you think, oh, I should be effortlessly happy all the time without having to do anything that's effortless. And somebody should fix me if I'm not. So they don't then take the action that they have control over. And the people who you think are going to fix you, all of these approaches have side effects and people get deeper into the side effects without ever empowering themselves. 
And what I would conclude there from my practice and my teaching is that when we actually interrupt the natural processes without speaking about how we can cultivate that chemical reward is that we then can introduce other physiological imbalances. And then we're on a polypharmaceutical wave of trying to fix and fix and fix without getting to that underlying understanding and those roots. Exactly. So if we look at the realm of just positivity, and I love how you speak about why the brain goes negative. And of course, this includes all the different neurohormones. But in relation to dopamine, how do we talk about negativity versus positivity in relationship to dopamine? Sure. So you might think that we have a natural GPS system, our animal brain. So the animal brain is the limbic system that connects your unique human cortex to the rest of your body. And your limbic system is common to all mammals and it controls your chemicals. So everything in your life, you know, like a lot of people have this idea of don't be in your animal brain, don't be in your survival brain. You can't not be in it. So we have two brains because we need both. So here's the thing, a positive feeling tells you to go forward and a negative feeling tells you to pull back. And as much as we don't like negative feelings, there are times that we should pull back. Like I said, if a lion is chasing a gazelle that got away, it better stop wasting its full tank of energy on that gazelle. So we need to appreciate our chemicals for the purpose that they are and yet understand, so why do we go negative? The human cortex can activate threats when they're not immediately present. So a gazelle only focuses on a lion when it has immediate sensory inputs that it's present, but a human can activate that feeling all the time. So the minute your dopamine stops, like you go for a reward, you got it. Now for a moment, you have nothing to focus on and nothing to do and no expectation of a reward. So negative thoughts rush in, like, what if I lose this reward tomorrow? What if I lose it next month or next year? And that's where we go. And then we deal with it by the dopamine pathways we built from past experience, which could be ordering a pizza, because that made your bad feeling go away in the past. Mm, it's so interesting, Loretta, just like this notion, and I'm looking at one of your handouts, which we will link in the show notes, if that's okay with you, but just that the idea of control, that sense of control, like I'm going to order a pizza because this helps me in this moment, that can release the feeling of dopamine, which makes us feel better because we feel like we're in control, but it's a negative control. Do I have that right? Yes, exactly. And what I focus on is we always want to be taking a step toward a reward because dopamine is the anticipation of reward. It's not really the reward itself, but it's the idea that if I keep taking these steps, I'll get it. And so when you're not actively focused on a path of steps, then you revert to whatever steps felt good in your past because they built a pathway. So the solution obviously is 
what I call it is get a project because a project is a series of steps where you believe that if I keep taking these steps, then I'll get a reward. It's really fascinating to think about this from a realm of functional nutrition. I know you mentioned blood sugar, but I'm also just thinking about how many people take on too much at once. They don't break it down (laughs) or base camp it. So we're actually not feeding our dopamine when we take on a huge project for our healthcare, whether it's like what New Year's resolutions or some kind of detox or diet or whatever it may be, and then we can't do it and we fail, then we are actually not feeding our dopamine and we're in this cycle of the lack of reward and achievement. And I'm always trying to tell people like, break it down, base camp it one thing at a time. If it feels too big of a bite, let's chop that bite up. That's great. Yes, that's exactly what I say. Very good. So the current educational philosophy is that everything should be fun. And the way to motivate kids to do their homework is to get them to quote unquote dream big. So a lot of people have to keep these like gigantic dreams in order to motivate themselves, which really are not practical and Your dopamine is only stimulated when you actually perceive yourself to be approaching the reward. So if you think you're not approaching a reward because it's so far away that you don't see yourself getting closer, you deprive yourself of dopamine. That could be the huge goal or what you said was like too many goals. But I do advocate having more than one goal because you can't always make progress on one of them. So you can switch to another when one is blocked. So you're always moving forward. I call that a long-term goal, a short-term goal, and a middle-term goal. Mm, That's so interesting. You're making me think about something I know about myself around how I implement, right? So there's a personality test called the Colby, K-O-L-B-E, that I love (laughs) for looking at my employees and the people I work with. And I happen to be an implementer, which is somewhat rare. And the way I understand that, and it doesn't mean that we don't all implement, it's about how we implement. And I implement by what I call rolling the snowball. I I'm always like, okay, this is the next step. And this is the next step. And people will often ask me, how have you achieved what you achieved? And it's because I lift my head up to look at the long-term goal, but I'm focused on the next step. And that means I'm, as I understand it, like constantly feeding my dopamine stores in some way or another. And then you feel good while you're doing it. And it's so valuable to know that our ancestors had to forage all the time to survive. And that means you never reached anything because when you reached it, the food would run out and then you would have to keep looking. So our brain evolved for foraging, which means constantly what you said is first taking the long view and then looking for the next step. So how do we think about this in our clinical, or how would you recommend, even though that isn't your realm, if you wish you could tell us something as clinicians that we could be doing to help with our clients and patients' positivity and happy hormones in relation to dopamine, besides what we're talking about, is there anything else we should be thinking about? 
Well, in simple terms, first I call it making peace with your inner mammal, accepting that your inner mammal has impulses that it can't report to you in words because the animal brain doesn't speak. And if you cut off these impulses and tell yourself that, oh, I shouldn't care about that, I don't really want that, then you are losing the engine, your core navigator. So that's make peace with your inner mammal. So the second thing is to celebrate your power over your brain rather than thinking that somebody should fix you or putting the blame for your impulses on something outside you. And I'd like to discuss the most common example of this right now before we run out of time. So everybody talks about like, I'm so glad you didn't, but what everybody asks me is, isn't social media to blame for our unwanted dopamine patterns? And everyone, by going along with this, they're not taking responsibility for their own dopamine. So first we need to know that our inner mammal cares urgently about social rewards once it has met its basic survival needs. And in the state of nature, it was so hard to meet your basic survival needs that you didn't obsess over social minutiae. But today, your belly is full and you're warm and comfortable, and so you obsess over social recognition and social support, which is explained in all of my books. And so you connect that to whatever met your social needs in the past. So if social media does that today, then you get dopamine when you move toward anything you expect to meet your social needs. But it's not about the social media because humans have always done this. And I use the example that when people wore corsets, people would practically kill themselves to wear a tighter corset than someone else. This is how the brain works. All animals are competitive, and that's how we're expressing it today. So that's also a part of acceptance, that we may recognize that we have some competitive nature that we just need to befriend. Yes, exactly. We need to manage it, but denying it doesn't help you manage it. Accepting it helps you manage it. So Loretta, before I let you go... Is there anything else that you wish you could shout from the rooftops about dopamine that we culturally are missing or getting wrong as you look at the animal brain, the mammal brain, and these connections that you've made? Sure. Well, similar to the example of blaming social media is the example of blaming the food companies for what you're eating. (laughs) (laughs) So I just have to specify that in case it wasn't obvious enough. So if it's not the food companies, what triggered my impulse for that food? Well, for every individual, it's their own unique past experience. So all my books are about helping people track down the early experience that builds my impulse to say, oh, I got to have that. And it's not to blame anyone in particular or to say my life is harder than your life, but it's very specific. Like I'll give you a specific example. When I was a kid, we would go for ice cream for getting a good report card. So I built a thing for ice cream. So understanding that specific thing rather than just blaming everyone and everything. Now to manage my urge for ice cream, I actually learned 
to meet my dopamine needs by searching for new flavors of ice cream <laughs> and doing new things with ice cream because having a tiny portion of ice cream is just fine. So instead of making these things taboo, like people go from one extreme to making totally. it taboo to then like ignoring their power over it. So that's the idea is saying it excites me. So how can I get that excitement in a healthy way? I just so love the conversation, Loretta, the work you do, and the agency that it brings back to us all as patients or people who are looking for more empowerment in our health journeys. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Sure. I really appreciate your insight into it. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks go out to Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, Sandra Brower, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, and Rowan Bradley for their support making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.